welcome to another episode of Talking Tropes. I'm Hannah. And I'm David. And today we are going to talk about the migratory patterns of birds in nature documentaries and how if you look closely enough, it actually is a pattern. Twist! We're not talking about any of that boring shit. We're talking about M. Night Shyamalan and his famous twists. Oh, snap. We are. That's right. We're going to twist again like we did last summer. <laughs> Because that was also the last time that we talked about M. Night Shyamalan was this past summer. Yes, we watched his probably worst movie, uh, The Last Airbender, you know, having watched quite quite a bit of his uh, <laughs> of his filmography at this point. I, I'm pretty confident in saying The Last Airbender is probably dead last. It's, yeah, it's still his worst movie, but I mean, there's there's plenty of competition. There's plenty of fun <laughs> movies that also just don't work at all. But here, here's the thing. Avatar is not fun. And there are other movies that are bad, but are at least fun. You know, like fun to watch. That's that's true. But also there are some some dull ones. But we'll we'll get into it. So David, for those who don't know, what what is the Shyamalan twist? Well, the Shyamalan twist is sort of this interesting thing in the discourse because it's something. It's not something he introduced or like claimed ownership of. It was something that critics attributed to him after his first two big successful movies, Sixth Sense and Unbreakable. Both at the end had a plot twist that sort of sits at the end of the movie and then nothing comes after it. There's no follow-up to it. The twist is the ending, right? Right. It, and it recontextualizes the movie so it, you know, sort of spurs people to watch it again. Right. Or at least that's what the interpretation of it is. You know, yes. that that's what it's supposed to do. Whether it does that or not, not really the point. So then, <laughs> for every movie following that, there was this need to force the twist into it. To centralize all of the discourse around the twist. Where sometimes I think that the, the twist it doesn't actually even exist. Yeah. It's really just an illusion, an illusory twist. Or it's a twist that is revealed too early and then is just kind of part of the movie. Right, but I mean, there's nothing wrong with having a twist in the first act of your movie or in the second act. I mean, that's part of basic right. screenwriting, right? I mean, any class that you've taken has will say... You want to put twists and turns in your movie. You don't. We want to keep people guessing. You don't want to give away the plot in the trailer. No, I 100% agree with you. However, I think that in some of these movies, the like twist that he's going... Like, you know the twist he's going for by the end of Act 1, but he's like, but you don't actually know what the twist is. And it's like, no, we, we got it, bro. Well, he, he does a lot of fake-outs, and he does a lot of red herrings, and he does a lot of... What, what, what do you call them? Double red? herrings when he just sort of introduces the idea of what the entire movie is about as a throwaway line and then the character rejects it yeah and then we move on and then we return to it like wait a minute there was something to that a second ago what somebody just said really makes you think huh <laughs> So should we start with with the big original, the the Sixth Sense? Yeah, let's let's talk about the Sixth Sense. You know, this was the twist that started it all. Uh, spoilers from here on out. Yes. these are all going to be all of the twists of every M Night Shyamalan movie. So if you haven't seen them all, <laughs> go check them out right now. We will wait for you to come back. Yeah. Pause. Okay, welcome back. Thank you. <laughs> it's been about 24 hours <laughs> since you've been here. If you've binged. <laughs> so, uh, welcome back. Yeah, so The Sixth Sense, crazy. Bruce Willis was dead the whole time. Right. Who knew? I mean, it, it, it sort of, after the fact, became sort of like a, a classic, you know, Reddit or Tumblr fan theory for, for, for any TV show that, hey, what if, like, this character was actually dead the whole time? And so, <laughs> so it kind of became a cliche after the fact, more so than it was beforehand. Absolutely. But it was also a, a trope that certainly has existed. Dead the whole time is, you know for sure a trope on on TV tropes under some name. Yeah. I, I don't I don't think there's anything super original about it, but what was good was just that it wasn't part of the marketing. It was something that was usually restricted to like short stories and TV shows rather than film. Mm -hmm. And this sort of introduced that idea to the public. I think that's that's the significance of it. Right. And I think one of the things that at least I really enjoy about The Sixth Sense is the fact that it it stands on its own if it was going to just be a regular, like, supernatural paranormal movie. Actually about, like, a psychologist, like, helping a kid come to terms with seeing ghosts or something. Um, like, it works on that level. And then the twist that Bruce Willis is dead the whole time 
only, you know, sort of accentuates the drama and accentuates um, the tension of the film. And I don't think it necessarily, like, takes away from it. But maybe you feel differently. Right. It, it It's a recontextualization that doesn't... It doesn't ruin any of the drama. Right. Although I could see somebody arguing the opposite. Okay. I mean, if somebody was really attached to the, you know, the story of this man whose wife is, is cheating on him and who has left him, <laughs> if that was the part of the movie that you most connected to, like, doesn't this kind of ruin it? I don't, I don't know. I would say it doesn't, though, because, you know, he gets his reconciliation at the end. You know, he, he has this moment of anger where he thinks his wife is drifting away and that she's cheating on him. And then, you know, he realizes, oh, shit, I'm dead and you're still, like, hung up on me. Like, you really loved me. Okay, like, I get it. This is fine. I'll, I'll move on so you can move on. You know, like, that's basically what the end of the movie is. Okay, this is fine. I'm dead. <laughs> I mean, like, he's not like, this is fine about being dead. But, like, he he looks to the light with a smile. Yeah, it's it's almost like the realizing that you're dead is a relief yeah. rather than, like, a shocking, like, oh, my God, everything that I know and, and love is a lie and is gone. Right. It's a relief. Like, thank God I'm dead. Right. Like, my wife isn't drifting apart because I've hurt her or we're incompatible anymore. She's drifting apart because I literally don't exist. Okay, this makes sense, you know? <laughs> Like, I, I, I don't know. I think it I think it still works uh, on that level. Yeah. I mean, you know, like The Sixth Sense, I think if you've watched all of the other Shyamalan movies, it does contain all of the classic Shyamalan things. Oh, yeah. Weird acting, child actors. Uh, I mean, I think Hilly Joel Osment does a great job. He does a great job, but it's, but it's always the disturbing child is mm. this, like, running figure in, in his oeuvre. Yes. And, uh, yeah, he, I, he must love working with children. I, I don't I don't know exactly what it is but he then also has the most bizarre dialogue yeah um, I don't have any like great examples from this film but there's definitely like a lot of weird things that a kid would never say even one who talks to ghosts yeah and then a lot of just odd line reads by uh, by Bruce Willis it's a staple yeah I mean I don't know I don't really have any particular issue with Bruce Willis's performance or, or line reads uh, in the film I, I think it works for the character and I think it works for you know what's happening he definitely is a little bit verbose uh, you know especially with his children characters like he definitely overwrites everything a little bit you know yeah i didn't have too too much of a problem with this i would say this is one of his less overwritten films <laughs> <laughs> in, in his oeuvre I, I think so, too. Should we move on to Unbreakable? We can always come back. Yeah, but real to. quick, do you want to touch on Stuart Little? Uh, <laughs> didn't watch for, for this rewatch, but, you know, watched as a child. Uh, the twist in this one is that it's Annie. It's just Annie, but with a mouse. So that's that's the twist, is the parents aren't his parents. Yep, it's an adoption narrative. There's, you know some fake parents who try to adopt them. It's it's the Annie plot. Yeah. Yeah, but he just sort of wrote the screenplay on that one, you know, for, for money. He probably wrote it, like, before he even really knew that he was going to be a big name, so... Uh, yeah, but... Unbreakable. Unbreakable. I mean, this twist, you know, if you haven't seen this one, is that Samuel L. Jackson, who plays Mr. Glass, is a secret villain. But what's interesting to me about this one is that this is a twist that would be right at home in any other superhero movie. Mm -hmm. That it's not a particularly Shyamalan-esque twist. Yeah. Except for that the movie just kind of ends after that, <laughs> almost like it's unfinished. They just come up with a text crawl that says been arrested you know right like he was charged with three crimes of terrorism right i mean typically after the twist that reveals who the villain is you then have a big climax right where the superhero fights the villain as it stands it's almost like the film cuts off right at the third act mark but it's it's interesting because you know the whole point is that you know he can't fight physically like like i think it plays into why mr glass was a villain i like i think you're totally right about if if we were to transplant Unbreakable into like a modern superhero context, it definitely is like right before the third act and the final confrontation and the climax where, you know, Mr. Glass would actually have planted a bomb in some other building and now the hero has to reveal himself and blah, blah, blah. But we're getting ahead of ourselves because this is all covered later in this secret trilogy. <laughs> 
<laughs> right. Well, that's isn't that like the weird thing about it? It's to to sort of take the what would be the third act of 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 a typical Hollywood film mm-hmm. and then just displace it ten years into the future, you know, or t- almost twenty years, right? Like seventeen years in the future, and then you know just just sort of make it a totally different movie that third act, yeah, and introduce a whole other character from a film in between. Do you want to jump to Split for a second, and then we'll kind of jump back? Um, no, I want to keep going in order because like Split is interesting, but I I really think that we should talk about that one as part of his later works. Let's talk about Signs. And I think by the time we get to Signs, now we start to recognize some patterns in these twists. Yeah. So okay, in each of these twists so far. They're accompanied with flashback scenes. So we're seeing something visually being recontextualized. And we're also seeing, uh, we're also hearing voiceover, usually a flashback voiceover, you know, some line from earlier that's now being reintroduced so that we can understand what is going on. So every twist has like a pause where you get to rethink and reconsider the whole movie that you've watched up to this point and think, does that make sense? Does that work? Is that what happened? So in The Sixth Sense, it's the scenes of, okay, flashing back and seeing what it looked like if Bruce Willis wasn't really there and that, oh yeah, no one was actually looking at him in those scenes. Right. And then you're hearing him saying, uh, the, the ghosts don't know that they're dead. The ghosts can't see any other ghosts. Just like listing all the rules again. They only see what they want to see. Exactly. So it's just listing all the rules again so you can get it. And then Unbreakable, same thing. You have a monologue from Mr. Glass over shots of him doing the things, blowing up trains and buildings and planes you know scrolling over his news clippings of of destroying buildings and whatnot and you have all of that going on while you're hearing a voiceover of yes this is how i knew my role as the villain because we're opposites you and i but we're also the same and etc so it's we're getting all of that recontextualization and then signs it's not exactly a twist in the same sense as the previous two right absolutely not it's more just the puzzle box sort of coming together together. Yeah. It's more J.J. Abrams-esque than... Yeah, but not even. It's it's more just like, have you ever seen like any of the Pure Flix movies? <laughs> <laughs> you know, any of those Christian movies about how everything happens for a reason? <sighs> It's more like that. Uh, it's more like that. If you've ever seen God's Not Dead, which, by the way, highly recommend. It's a very fun e-watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's got uh, Kevin Sorbo, his wife dies, and then by the end of the movie you find out that the... Re- or no, his mom died of cancer or something? I can't remember. I don't remember. But anyway, he gets hit by a car specifically so that he can, you know, regain his faith in God, which he had lost, and he started, you know, preaching in schools about how God's dead. Being an atheist, yeah. <laughs> So this is kind of like that. <laughs> it's it's a little bit like that. Uh, for those of you who don't know, the twist in Signs, uh, Signs is about a bunch of aliens who land in Pennsylvania. Yeah, based on a lot of like the classic myths of the greys, you know, skinny, tall, gray, naked aliens flying around in flying saucers, yeah. doing crop circles, poisoning people. All these things. But, you know, they're allergic to water. That's that's the twist. The, the water makes them go ouchy. Well, the, no, that, see, that's the thing, right? Is I don't think that is the twist. Okay, what's the twist? I think the twist is that God is real. <laughs> what? Because it's not, this movie was written by M. Night Shyamalan without the push that every film of his has to be a big twist that, that, changes the whole movie. It was it was critics and, and people who saw his film mm-hmm. that ascribed the, oh, the twist is that they're weak to water. Because that's not really a twist because they announce it earlier in the film. Do they? Yeah. There's a whole scene where M. Night Shyamalan, as the veterinarian who killed Mel Gibson's wife, uh-huh. he's like, I'm going to go down to the lake. They're saying that they don't like water very much. Okay. That's what they're saying on the news. And everything that they've said on the news up to that point has also been true. You know, that they appear to be appearing in large numbers. They're doing ground forces. They left behind their wounded. You know, all these things that they say on the TV all turn out to be true. The point is just that it's something that people aren't readily willing to believe just because they hear it. So, yeah, I guess it is kind of surprising when the water falls on them and it literally burns through the alien flesh like acid but I don't think that's the twist I think the twist is that it turns out that Mel Gibson's wife dying was all part of God's plan so that she could give them her last words which were the secret to defeating them (laughs) 
That's the twist. You, you, you don't think so? You, you think that's wrong? I don't know. I mean, it's been a minute since I've seen Signs, so, you know, I'm not as fresh on it. Well, I guess here's my evidence, is that if we're comparing it to the first two twists, yeah. in those two, you have flashbacks with a voiceover. Right. And in this one, we don't have flashbacks of, uh, at least I don't think we do, I don't think we have flashbacks of M. Night Shyamalan's character saying that they stay away from lakes. What we do have is a flashback to Mel Gibson's wife dying and explaining this stuff, and saying swing away and see and let the you know let the boy have fun and the girl will always be protected by the boy you know all the the advice that she gave right Mm. before she died which mel gibson said that he he thought it was just gibberish because you know her last neurons were firing before she died right but now we're getting the twist which is that it was all done for a reason that there is no such thing as coincidence this this is interesting because i think at this point with signs we've established this strange pattern and this isn't necessarily about twists, but I think is a a very prevalent theme in Shyamalan's work that I do want to address while while we're talking about him, is his sort of fascination, preoccupation, and like total misrepresentation of people with mental illness and then also just like neurology in general. Like he just falls into every single like bad cliche writing trope around this stuff that exists and like it's just everywhere. Right. So in in Sixth Sense we have the the mentally disturbed child and murderer. Yeah. who, Who kills Bruce Willis just because he's sick in the head. Right. Well he's sick in the head but also he probably saw ghosts or whatever so like oh the sick people are powerful but like in a weird creepy way not like they deserve to be treated as human. And and in Unbreakable he's he, he's got a physical disability which also turns him evil. Right. And Bruce Willis has like you know a physical extra ability which you know automatically superhero you know doesn't mean anything else just superhero you know then in signs we have oh when my wife was dying her neurons are firing randomly but no it's a message from god god is real you know like right i don't think this is on the same level as those other two but i can see why it's a pet peeve it's not on the same level but i'm just saying it it just feels like he uses mental illness and um neurology in general as sort of this like catch-all key to unlocking the supernatural right right it's sort of a a pet peeve of mine in general as a trope and i i was sort of surprised to to realize when i you know watching all of his films kind of in succession Mm -hmm. that like this is almost as much as the twist this is like a trope that he is constantly constantly invoking um and we'll see that as we continue into the village too which we we stand the village we do if you want to hear us stand the village for like an entire podcast you can go check out the it's not that terrible podcast available wherever podcasts are found there are some great guys morgan and zach and we we talked about the village in depth but for the sake of our podcast what's what's the twist of the village david the twist in the village is that the monsters are fictitious that they are uh, the elders of this village we're just using them to keep people from learning the true secret of the village which is that it is not in a 19th century little uh, hamlet in, uh, in you know <laughs> colonial America. It's modern day America. It's it's 2004, and they're in the <laughs> middle of Pennsylvania in like Philadelphia area. Yeah, that's the other thing. All of Shyamalan's movies take place within train distance of Philadelphia, <laughs> if not Philadelphia themselves. <laughs> Go Philly! Go birds! I I really want a uh, gritty to be a part of old. That's that's my hope for. <laughs> old is that gritty yeah. makes an appearance good that'd be pretty good <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. but yeah so that's the twist of the village that the monsters are fake they're just the elders and that they're not in the 18th 19th century they're in like they're just in the woods larping basically and now i think that w- when we start to get you know this is one of the first films that ex- people experience some exhaustion with the trope of the Shyamalan twist yeah and i think that's partly because there's, there's a lot more exposition involved in this particular twist yeah it's a lot yeah. more verbal now it's using the same film techniques he's still doing a flashback to scenes that we've seen earlier but now recontextualized he does a voiceover thing of every person who lost someone tragically in a murder each of the villagers has experienced some kind of trauma as a result of crime right and then that's why they set up the village and so they've been hinting at it throughout the whole film that it was that was the reason that they founded the village but now we realize oh they founded that village because 
modernity is evil to them. Yeah. And also capitalism. I did like that. Yeah, but at the same time, it was it was a place that was founded by a super rich capitalist. And, no, 100%. And it was designed to move all the white people away from all the non-white people. I know. It was, it's definitely low-key a little bit racist. Well, they are, but I don't, I don't know. I, yeah. I think that it's okay because I think this is like, it makes it sort of a, a primordial early draft of like get out or something, you know? <laughs> Because, I mean, it's purposeful, right? I mean, you know, yeah. M. Night Shyamalan is not white. He wanted to tell a story about how spooky white people are, and we are the spookiest, <laughs> so... And the crazy spooky shit they'll do to protect each other and themselves, quote-unquote. Right. <laughs> Just, like, how how scary it is to have racist white people cults running around, which are everywhere. Yeah. So, yeah, it's... Uh, I, I, I like The Village. I think it's a good movie. It definitely falls into what you were just saying about yeah. M. Night Shyamalan and mental illness. Yeah, there's a... Sort of the main, like, physical antagonist of the film who sort of puts a lot of the plot in, in motion is uh, a mentally disabled man um, who is, you know, supposed to to be the innocent lamb but then commits a murder and then you know tries to kill a lady later right and he also is like constantly killing animals and stealing their skins and yeah and it's just like oh so like people with autism are just like murderers chill like you know like they're supposed to be this idyllic village where they're away from all of this terribleness but the person who brings the terribleness to them is you know a mentally disabled person and it's you know i get what it's trying to go for as far as like thematics but like the the actual implications of it are are cringy uh, to say the least right and you know i think that all the explanation that they use for the twist in this movie is necessary i think it's important yeah. to get the get the idea across and then a lot of people I've seen have also criticized the film because after the twist is revealed that the monsters aren't real, mm -hmm. they still try and play up the idea that the monster is still scary for this this blind this blind character played by Bryce Dallas right. Howard. Which I think works for some people and doesn't work for others. Right. For me, I think it still works. Absolutely works for me. I mean, the, the whole point is that there are irrational fears, that there are things, yeah. even if you tell us that there's nothing to be afraid of, we're still going to be afraid of it, including uh, a a person with a mental disability running around yeah. in a spooky costume who you can't you can't tell if they're a real monster or not. Yeah, and you're alone in the woods and blind and blind. <laughs> and then the, the secondary twist that it's in modern day it recontextualizes the film, but it doesn't yeah. shatter any of the drama. No, I think I yeah we talked about this with the it's not that terrible people um, about how you know one of them found that the first like two thirds of the movie was kind of boring because they knew the twist but at least for me like I, I found the whole thing very compelling like you said the drama holds up for me just because I think that the twist it oh shoot I've like lost the words now well I I can I can su supplant some some words of my own but I, I mean I find all of M. Night Shyamalan's movies to be a little slow a little methodical yeah. in their pacing I don't think that you know the village is, is any worse for mm. it uh, I think that sometimes methodical pacing can be useful for building suspense yeah. or for just letting moments land, you know? Right, that's what I was going to say. It's There's a great sense of dramatic irony watching this movie knowing the twist, and I don't feel like that dramatic yeah. irony ruins it. I feel like, at least for me, it enhances it, and, and it makes the drama... Because you can put yourself in these characters' shoes, I think, but still know, knowing the reality of the situation, it almost makes everything, like, a little bit more Shakespearean in how kind of, like, tragic it is. I feel like it just makes it ridiculous. It becomes a total farce and I like it I like that it's totally farcical yeah but every time they're talking about burying the bad color yeah. you're thinking like wow these people are such rubes but they're I, so goofy but I love it cause you know like me too as, as you know does burying the bad color hurt anybody? No. Like, fuck it. Like, bury the bad color. Live your best life. But maybe maybe next time you decide to create, like, a 18th century cult, bring some medicine. That's, that's like, my <laughs> one takeaway for the village. Just have a backlog, you know. <laughs> have one person designated as the go-to-the-village guy. Right, and you can, like, you can mystic it up as, like, you know, the... <laughs> They're a wizard. Right. <laughs> so that's why they can... 
they can avoid the monsters. Like, you can say anything and they'll believe it. Right, or you do it like The Giver, where there's, like, one guy who knows the truth, and then, like, everyone else is brainwashed. You know, like, it's, it's fine. Yeah. Just plan your cult better next time. Yeah, so I, I, I just want to say, yeah, totally disagree with anybody who thinks that the village is the twist that's like, now this is too cliche. Because <laughs> the signs twist, super cliche. Yeah. It's a it's a pure flicks twist. <laughs> Unbreakable. It's the twist in the third act of every superhero movie. All the other superhero movies just decide to have another climax after that. Yeah. The Sixth Sense, I mean, that's definitely a Rod Serling, Twilight Zone kind of twist that a character was dead the whole time. But it's so fun. Yeah, it's totally fun. There's nothing wrong with being a little bit derivative. Yeah. It's just, yeah, the whole point of of, of praising Shyamalan on how clever his twists wa- were was never true. Right. But they were never a problem. Right. <laughs> they were they were always something that enhanced the story. Absolutely. So, so Lady in the Water. I have... <laughs> I, this one I did not watch. Um... There was not right. enough time. However, <laughs> so this one again, I don't, I don't think it really has a twist. But because it's in this era where every film of his had a twist, mm-hmm. there's a sort of there's a critical incentive to force a twist in there. And there's a little bit of a a sort of cheekiness to Shyamalan addressing his critics. Uh-huh. And by cheekiness, I mean blatant in your face <laughs> saying, "I hate my critics," <laughs> because there's a character played by Bob Balaban. Let me let me introduce the plot real yeah. quick for those of you who don't know, because I'm sure most people have not seen this movie <laughs> or remember what it's about. It's mermaids, right? He, mermaids. There's a guy played by Paul Giamatti who uh, is the sort of landlord at this these uh, these apartments that are all around this pool, and everybody around the the apartments is like a, a really interesting character, almost like they're in a story. And then this mermaid played by Bryce Dallas Howard pops out of the pool, and she's naked and hot, and Paul Giamatti is this stuttering nebishy guy whose <laughs> wife was killed and by a by a murderer um a lot of fucking people being killed by murderers in Shyamalan flicks a lot of dead wives not just dead wives just just so much murder but there's also a lot of dead wives yeah, <laughs> yeah. so and then he, he brings this mysterious fae of a of a woman into his apartment and she says her name is story and she's a narf <laughs> which is like a type of nymph from a Korean folktale. But being played by Bryce Dallas Howard, so it's right. fine. Well, Don't worry about it. She comes from Planet Blue, and her, you know, the story just happened to be an Eastern fairy tale. Uh-huh. It was based on something that M. Night Shyamalan was was making up and telling to his kids, uh-huh. basically. Um, and so he wanted to turn that into a film. And so the whole thing was it's about stories, it's a meta-narrative, and so all of his films are about stories though. That is one thing I have noticed. All of his films are pretty pretty meta. Maybe not science. This one especially though because and I'll get to the Bob Balaban of it all. <laughs> but basically he has to find all of the different um tenants of the apartments who fill the different roles of this oh. story which are like the guardian the soothsayer. This sounds the, very children's storybook. The guild. Yeah. Um, and that's and they point that out too, like, oh, you think this is a kids movie? Well, we're gonna kill a character on screen. Don't just you wait. It's oh man, Fuck it's your like kids, man. <laughs> it's a it's 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 real dumb. But uh, I mean, I don't want to be the critic guy because there's this character played by Bob Balaban who is a film critic uh-huh. who his whole role is to set off the twist in the movie, which is because what he does is they're trying to find who would be these different roles? And one of the roles is like, you know, the the seer or something. There's a different name for it. I can't remember. But it would be somebody who's really good at, at seeing signs. Mm. And so Bob Balaban is like, well, maybe in the first act of a movie where you had to find a seer, maybe you would see someone who uh, really knows puzzles. And so in the first act of the movie, we had this character who was really good at crossword puzzles. Mm. And then his son keeps, like, reading these, like, children's cereal boxes and being like, man, this color really speaks to me. And so we go in and we're like, oh, because Bob Balaban said that it's puzzles, we got to go with the crossword guy. Uh But then when it comes to the climax, it turns out he's not getting any visions. So he must not be the seer. It must be someone else. Wait a minute. My son sees the beauty in cereal boxes. Maybe he's the seer. I guess we shouldn't have trusted that film critic. What? What kind of person would think that they could see into another man's soul? 
oh, must be a, a, a dirty, rotten film critic who's always overanalyzing and simplifying and, and making everything according to his little tropes that he sees in all these other movies and making assumptions about what writing should and shouldn't be. Oh, David, do we have to... Do we have to quit now? Do we have to stop? Is this well, this the is end? what I'm saying is like, <laughs> yeah, well, we're not trying to psychoanalyze M. Night Shyamalan or anything. All we're doing is identifying patterns in yeah. his writing and saying whether we found them compelling or not. <laughs> <laughs> whether they compel, whether they're compelling, whether they support the themes of the films, yeah. And for the first, for the first, uh, you know, several films at least, I think that's definitely true. Yeah. I think Lady in the Water, like it, kind of holds together, but you have to be really on board for this very meta story about M Night Shyamalan writing stories, in which M yeah. Night Shyamalan plays an author who writes a book about politics, which is so influential that he's assassinated over it. Oh. In the future, after the end of the film. What? He's not he's not assassinated on screen. He receives a prediction from this mermaid fairy creature that after the movie's over, he will be murdered for his controversial political book called The Cookbook. And then that it will also inspire a young child who will eventually become president. I mean, hopefully it's like a good book, question mark. I <laughs> well, like... we don't ever... See what it is, but I guess we're supposed to assume that it's progressive and dangerous and conservatives come to kill him over it. I guess. Though you could really read it either way. Like, it's... There's no... (laughs) I guess you could, It doesn't seem like there's any really grounding uh, (laughs) ideology behind this. So, yeah, again, like, I'm not going to try and psychoanalyze, like, what M. Night Shyamalan was trying to get across in Lady in the Water. That's not my role as a critic. But as a film theorist, (laughs) as a media scholar, I would like to say that I think that this film is not a film with a big twist in it. It's a film with a story, and stories happen to have twists. The twist is a twist in the third act, which is included in every screenwriting book from here to Timbuktu. You know, like these are really common tropes. The twist in the third act, it ups the tension. It moves us into the climax. That's, you know, that's its role. So there's a long spiel to just say this isn't really a Shyamalan Mm -hmm. twist where it ends the film and recontextualizes everything before it. It's just another story beat. Let's talk about the happening. <laughs> Please start us off. I have no clue I how mean, to start. I mean, where do you start with the happening? This movie is truly incredible. I had never watched it before, but I have watched lots of like video essays about it and like various reviews, and I knew that it wasn't good going into it. I did not realize what I was stepping into, the glory, the beauty, the delight that is the happening. This is a comedy film. It's a comedy film. Well, I I don't know that it's a straight up comedy, but there are definitely comedic elements to it. It's like a comedy film. It's got like generally as much violence as like your jackass movie in it. You know, like there's more murder for sure, but it's all off screen. You know, it's- That's not true at all. What do you mean? What? There's a guy gets run over by a lawnmower and we Uh, see the blood shooting out of the thing. There's a- there's a guy who jabs like a uh, a, a needle That's in her true. neck, and there's there's people who like slit their wrists on screen. It's very triggering. I mean, this is a a triggering movie, I'm sure, for some people. All right, all right, all right. I take like dead okay. bodies just hanging, like people who hang themselves. The suicide part of the happening is definitely a lot, but everything else about it is hilarious, uh, including right. Well, I mean, it's it's like a romantic comedy with Zoe Deschanel and Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, it's insane. It doesn't make any sense. Both of them are horrible, but like, it's not like the script gives them anything great to work with, you know? Wait, what's wrong with Mark Wahlberg? He's just your cool oh, teacher who's He's the cool. worst. I can't stand him. He's just like, yo, science is cool, but then says everything, everything he says about science is like about belief. It's about God, you know? Like, none of it is actually about science. Well, this is the thing, is is all a lot of Shyamalan's movies have this figure of the skeptic who over the course of the movie is is brought into faith. No, 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 no. But like Mark Wahlberg is not the skeptic. From the beginning, he is the believer where he's like some things are just an act of nature and we'll never understand them. Whoa, man. No, but he addresses everything through this lens of science and reason and we have to But it's like well, Trying to apply science and reason to the Bible. Like, at a certain point, you are just taking a leap of faith, but Mark Wahlberg can't, like, conceptualize that. Right. Well, I guess it's more in the dialogue, which is the fun part, that you'll have Mark Wahlberg, he's confronted with this impossible thing that people 
are inexplicably killing themselves, but not mm-hmm. everyone's doing it. So it, it must be something in the air, but we don't know exactly where it's coming from. It seems like a terrorist attack, but we don't see any terrorists. Yeah. And it's happening in weird places, like in Central Park. Central and in, Park? Uh, in the middle <laughs> of the woods. Um, yeah. So that's exactly what he'll do, is he'll just go like, Central Park? That doesn't make scientific sense. <laughs> and then he'll, it'll be a zoom up close up on his face oh. and he'll be like, okay, okay, I'm thinking like a scientist. I'm thinking like a scientist. We have to split, split it into two groups. Conduct an experiment. Control variables. Right. He's just like talking like no one has ever No talked. one in this movie speaks like a normal human at all or age appropriately. Like there are children who are talking like their 30 year old buddies to like Mark Wahlberg and be like, man, you gotta like move on your lady, bro. And it's like, what <laughs> the fuck is happening? Who are you people? Yeah. John Leguizamo is a treasure um, in this film. Oh Love my him. God. It's just... And it's insane, and the whole, like, oh, there's a hole in the roof of the Jeep, so, like, everything is just so overdramatic, and, like, you you can't, I, I couldn't take a minute of it seriously, and the whole twist that it's, like, the fucking trees is not a twist, it's just, like, part of the movie, you know? Right, well, that's the thing, right, is by this point, I think that he be, had become aware, as, as evidenced by... Lady mm-hmm. in the Water. And again, I'm not trying to psychoanalyze yeah. it either. But I think by Lady in the Water, he's certainly aware of his critics. For sure. Hence the critic character. Yeah. And then by this movie, he's sort of trying to subvert things. So in the trailer for this film, like in all the other trailers, it's sort mm-hmm. of unclear what's happening. You know, it's the happening. People are dying, but there's no real explanation given. And so it's sort of set up like, okay, the point of the movie is it's a mystery about what the happening is. But it's not a mystery. But that's not what it is about. But they play it up like it's a mystery for so long. And then it's not a mystery. And it's just so frustrating. Well, yeah, but he, yeah, so it's a, it's a red herring. So he, he, he's, they, there's a character who says, you know, I'm, I'm a plant scientist and I, I think that it might be the plants. You know, plants sometimes can communicate with each other and they sometimes release chemicals designed to drive away specific uh, pests. You know, the bees, whatever. Oh, also, yeah, the the thing about the bees are disappearing, which was also done in, like, Doctor Who the same year. And it was this... Where are they going, man? It was this big trope for, for a while back then. I don't know if you guys remember, but, yeah, the bees were disappearing and people were just like, this is like a science fiction thing. <laughs> this is science fiction ble- bleeding into the real world. And it's like, no, it's just the horrible reality that we live in now. Uh, but it's fine. I mean, hey, we're in a pandemic now. So uh, thanks for demonetizing us, YouTube. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I don't know. The Happening's great. You should definitely watch it. I'm sure there are happening like drinking games or whatever that you can play. Highly recommend. Right. And I think that The Happening really, at the end of the day, I think it's trying to be uh, Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. <laughs> but with plants? Or, or sort of, it's it's a throwback to that. Or And this is also, I think The Happening is also very uh, Twilight Zone-ish. You know? Yeah, but like it's one of the bad Twilight Zone episodes, you know? I disagree. I, I I really like like weird stuff like this, the unexplained, the where it doesn't need to be some like very literal thing. It can be that there's discrepancies and people disagree about what happened. I just feel like the movie is too defensive about the fact that it's trying to be like, oh, it's just a fact of nature that we'll never understand because so many people have tried to pick apart his movies in the past, you know, like that became part of the fun of a Shyamalan movie was finding out the twist. I don't think that's why it is that I way. don't know. I think, I think it's it's that way because the birds doesn't have an explanation. The birds is just a force of nature. Right, but like no no one in it is just like, oh, it was a force of nature. You know, like they, they're just like, shit, that's crazy that that all happened. They don't even bother. No, people, people talk about stuff in the birds. People are like really confused about what's happening in the birds. Well, I mean, yeah, but they're not like, I don't know. Are they, are they really? It's been a while. Not fixated yeah, they're not on fixated it. on it. And like this one, everyone is fixated on what's happening. And like, I get why. I think, I think if you remade the birds today and didn't make it into Birdemic, <laughs> which is a totally different film that is also fun. Ah, classic. If you didn't make it into Birdemic, you would probably make it into something like The Happening. I mean, consider that this movie is coming out like right at the same time as An Inconvenient Truth, as The Day After Tomorrow. An Inconvenient Truth had been out for a minute. This is 2008. Yeah, it was like four years after, but movies take a long time to make. I mean, yeah, but like, I don't know. I'm just saying, it was around the time where we were starting to have this newfound sense of impending doom around climate change. For sure. And and the idea of human beings as being a threat to nature and nature fighting back was in the zeitgeist. I think that the twist 
being that it's so simple, can be a little disappointing. But it's it's meant to be kind of an inconvenient truth for the narrative, you know? It's meant to be like, if only it were something more complicated, more distinct, more specific, we could fight back against it. Right. But there's nothing that we can do to fight climate change when it's literally sending tidal waves to kill us. We can only fight it beforehand. Right. What do you think about sort of the, like, conclusion to the happening? Where, you know, they're like, it's just gonna get really bad and then it'll stop and we'll be fine again. But th- No, but that's the thing. is it, It's like, this is a warning for the big one to come. That we're not mm-hmm. even watching the real happening. We're watching, like, the happening before it goes global. And okay. that's the really, like, the dark ending the kind of Hitchcockian rods it's very it's very it's a very Twilight Zoney kind of ending like I could see this being like a, a you know a Rod Serling movie like Planet of the Apes where it ends on this very pessimistic like oh you damn dirty apes you blew it up um <laughs> I know I'm messing up that line you fucking humans you ruined it right but you know you know what I'm saying like it's yeah we're we're pushing forward into a new <laughs> a new era of doom and there's still right. deniers on the news saying no I don't think it was the plants. Well, then why did it only happen in the Northeast? So, so there. Um, Yeah, so that's the happening. It's great. Watch it. (laughs) Maybe we'll like it for different reasons, but I guarantee you will find... It's it's so entertaining, you know. If what you want is an entertaining movie, check out the happening. That's that's my rec. All right, what are we gonna talk about next? Because there's technically the last Airbender. Uh, let's do Devil next. We're gonna skip Last Airbender because we talked about that. It doesn't have a twist. The Devil is very much the, a, a similar movie to the uh, Signs, except for okay. with less aliens and more religion. If you could even believe that. So again, there's this these killings, and somebody in the very first act says. I think it might be the devil. And we're meant to be like, no, it's going to be something else besides that. But no, it definitely is the devil. It's just the, the devil. literal Christian devil. And we see all these things playing out. We have the skeptic character who's this cop who's like, yeah, my my wife and child were killed by a hit and run driver. You know, where have we seen that before? Yeah. And it was in that day, he left a note that said, I'm so sorry. And, that you know, that's how I knew. He left a note. Oh, he's sorry? Well, that's how I knew that there's evil in this world because humans are evil. And, you know, it doesn't, we don't need the devil to do evil to each other. And so he's trying to solve it like a cop. Like, who's doing the murders on this devil elevator? Um, But then at the end, you find out, yeah, it was the devil. The devil was the old lady who pretended Uh, to be dead for the whole time in order to trick people so that she could keep doing the killings and they would all suspect each other of being the devil. But then at the end, you really find out that the last guy left alive as the devil is coming over to him and saying, you're going to hell, you... You person, you bad person, you find out that he was the one. He was the drunk driver who did the hit and run on the cop's wife and child. Oh, shit. Twist. But he's sorry. But now he's really sorry. And instead of running, because last time he ran, it was a hit and run. This time he calls the cop on the walkie talkie and says, I did it. I did the hit and run. I'm confessing. And then the devil says, "Ooh, damn, you bested me. I'm out of here. I really oh wanted God. your soul, goddammit. Do you know what do you know what movie also has this twist? What? Sinbad, the DreamWorks <laughs> movie, where she's like, You won't go back for your friend, and he's like, Wanna bet? And then does it, and she's like, Darn, you bested me, Sinbad. That's it's the exact same twist. <laughs> Right. Well, I mean, but I, I think I think this is like so t- straightforwardly in line with Shyamalan's yeah. like, oeuvre. He this yeah. is his style all the way, and the twist is definitely in line with the uh, the science twist because it's not a twist of everything that you saw in the movie was a lie, like the village mm-hmm. um, or or Sixth Sense. It's a twist mm-hmm. of everything was a plan, everything was put together. The whole movie was a big puzzle box, and everything makes sense, and everything had a reason for being there. So it's it's very much a, a clever screenwriter flexing on how clever <laughs> he is, which can be yeah. a little off putting. But at the in the at the end of the day, it's you know, it's the kind of thing that you would expect from, you know, a typical Hollywood screenwriter anyway. It is kind of a JJ thing. I think there's yeah. a lot of mirror images between what we're talking about here and what we talked about with our mystery boxes episode, if you want to check that out. For sure. So I think, you know, skipping after Earth again, not really a twist in that one necessarily just sort of his attempt to write a no-nonsense blockbuster that failed miserably critically and financially starring will and jaden smith right it's great um i've never seen it (laughs) who cares (laughs) 
The Visit. I had never seen this. I didn't know the twist. I loved this. I think The Visit is great. I don't know what the general consensus is about it, but... What what, what time does the twist sort of get revealed? And is it revealed gradually at all? So there are are sort of moments where they kind of... Like, if you know the twist and you're watching, you're like... They're literally just telling you. But if you Mm. don't know the twist, you're like, I know something is fucking weird and something's gonna like... I know there's going to be a twist, but I have no idea what it's going to be. The twist in the visit comes in, I think there's like 22 minutes left in the film. And I think it's like a two-hour film. So, you know, we're we're most of the way through. So we have another sort of twist in the third act that brings us into the climax kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I would say it's definitely more traditional film twist versus... You know, the distinctly Shyamalan twist where... Stylistic Shyamalan yeah, twist. Yeah. Right, where it's like exactly at the end of the movie. But it really does. It's 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 shocking and it's it really will turn you. Like, I, this is your second warning. I don't want to spoil the twist in the visit for you. I really don't. So please pause here. We'll wait. Great. Thank you for watching The Visit. Holy shit, these kids go to stay with their mother's uh, parents, with their grandparents who they've never met. Uh, and the mom doesn't go with them to drop them off. She just puts them on the train. And an old couple picks them up at the train station. They're like, these are our grandparents. Uh, twist, they're not. They're not the grandparents. Oh my god. <laughs> it's very terrifying. They escaped from the insane asylum, right? Right. Which is another instance of problematic mental illness tropes. Wildly problematic mental illness tropes, especially along the lines of, is there something supernatural to their mental illness, you know, or are they just like mentally ill? Yeah, I mean, there's points where there's definitely definitely some witch vibes, as in they literally try and like bake someone in an oven. Well, yeah, they just like have her crawl into an oven to like clean it but then they like close her in there and she's like grandma let me out like please and like she just leaves her in there for like a little bit too long (laughs) it's just uh it's it's terrifying i think for me the part of this twist that is the scariest is you know whether or not these people needed to be mentally ill or not the fact that this could happen you know that you could send your kids to meet your estranged parents And then, like, a random old couple picks them up and, like, kidnaps your children. Like, that shit could just happen. Yeah, I mean, it reflects a societal anxiety, which all good horror should. In this case, the anxiety is about the the disconnection between Generation Z or, you know, whatever, Generation Alpha, whatever, and their grandparents' generation, the boomer generation. There's a disconnect. There's no no real familial ties anymore. Grandparents are, are... living in the homes of their children much less often now than they were in decades past. So a cultural anxiety reflected in horror, very, very consistent with uh, what we come to expect. Yeah. The bad part about this movie is that the last, like, five minutes are entirely superfluous and, like, should just not have been a part of it and, like, kind of ruin the whole thing a little bit, but... um, (laughs) What happened? Well, so it just ends... So it ends on this very overly saccharine note, at least for me, overly saccharine note, um, on forgiveness. Mm. So this this came out in 2015, so we're a little bit after the, um, shoot, what's the, like, found footage horror films that I can't think of? In this paranormal movie? Activity. Yeah, it's, it's, like, Paranormal Activity. Yeah, yeah. So it's, um, the daughter is, like, this 15-year-old, oh my god, the most People complain about John Green characters in, like, (laughs) unbelievable dialogue. This is truly unbelievable 15-year-old and, like, 13-year-old dialogue from children. Um, Just, like, nothing here is what a child would say at all, ever. The kids, I think the kids do a great job with what they're given. They're just not given a lot. So she's filming a documentary about going to meet her grandparents, and then her goal is to try to get her grandparents to forgive her mom so that they can have a relationship and her mom can move forward in her life after their dad um, left them, abandoned them. So it's a little convoluted. <laughs> but, you know, the it ends up being about how, you know, the mom is like sobbing into her daughter at the end of the movie and she's like, don't hold on to anger. Like, you have to let it go before crazy old people murder your parents and you don't have a chance to reconcile with them. So this is, again, 
again, it's a commentary on that social anxiety. It's basically yeah. blaming the younger generation for not forgiving the older generation for why generations are growing apart. Or, you know, just in general. Like, like I don't even think it's necessarily br- blaming, like, the youth for not having enough forgiveness. It's just, it's, like, very much just, like, we as a world need to be more forgiving. And, like, it ends with her showing uh, clips of, like, her and her brother as children with their dad. And she had said earlier in the film that... Um, I refuse to use any footage of my father because that would mean I forgive him. And so we go, oh, she's forgiven him. He's in the film. And we're given a hint that that's going to happen earlier in the film because when she says that, he's actually on the screen behind her (laughs) playing. So we kind of know how it will end. There's a hint. So yeah, the twist in this one is great. And then the <laughs> the other twist at the very end is that it's a Hallmark movie. And I don't like that twist. <laughs> it's very Shyamalan. Right. But but it's all very Shyamalan. It's, it's, he hasn't deviated too much from his basic formula. The places where he does deviate seem to be the ones that do more poorly yeah. financially. After Earth, Last Airbender. But everything that we've seen did decently except for like the happening i and, uh, did not do super well but i mean yeah but I, whatever mm-hmm. right like it's the marketing is always super vague and then the actual twist comes somewhere in the movie mm-hmm. it shocks people out of their seats they they blog about it whatever and then the the rest of the movie kind of stands on its own his directing is weird <laughs> his dialogue is completely bizarre but that's what you show up for. That's what you show up for. So, uh, yeah. I mean, all right. So now we, uh, this, I guess not the main event, but, you know, this is the only sort of succession of films that he is <laughs> he has directed. Yeah. Um, is Unbreakable. And then in 2017, he released the movie Split. And the twist in this one is that it's a sequel to Unbreakable. And no one knew that. And you don't, and this one you don't find out again until the very end. So we're right. truly, re- like, returning to... Uh, form with the Shyamalan twist of you find out in the last like minute of the movie and like that's it you know and this is again a very like tumblr fan theory kind of twist right that all movies uh, of a certain company or a certain production or a certain director or a certain writer are all existing in the same universe somehow yeah you know Sherlock meets Doctor Who a super (laughs) Hulak (laughs) <laughs> or Super Hulak, uh, or you know uh, something as simple as like or, or like the Pixar theory, where they unify all the Pixar movies and put them yeah. in order. So weird. I I don't know what's going on with the Pixar stuff, but yeah. So I mean, do we want to talk about? Because that is just the twist of it, right? Like nothing else in it is necessarily the twist. Well, I mean, you could argue that there are other twists in the movie. The idea that like the main character's trauma is. The secret to yeah. finding the heart of the beast, because the beast also Ugh. came about due to trauma, and the like. That's kind of a a twist that revealing the scars of abuse is the secret to defeating the monster. It's a sort of Beauty and the Beast story with a literal beast. It's very Beauty and the Beast, yeah. So this is another one that's just firmly in the M. Night Shyamalan does not understand mental illness camp because it's just like... Right, or is willfully trying to turn them into demons and superheroes on purpose. For for his own gain and just kind of doesn't care about the actual people who are affected by these. Because the split is split personality disorder, which is not the proper it's, uh, yeah. name for it anymore. It's Dissociative Identity Disorder, mm-hmm. or DID, which, you know, people have, and it does not give them the power to climb walls no. or lift cars. No. It does not change... I mean, it does change their brain chemistry, for sure. It, it uh, I think there are things where it could release certain hormones that, that wouldn't be released by other personalities. But, I mean, it does not give you superpowers. No. Or give you carte blanche to kidnap a bunch of teenagers and feast on their flesh, which is mostly what this right. one is about. <laughs> it's it's really most of it is just a straight up horror film, right? And and like I I also have a lot of issues with the um like the trauma elements of this film, and you yeah. know like the rape and abuse of a child as a motivating factor, and you know like I understand the point that it's trying to make. I just don't know that it necessarily right. is successful in that point or why those specific traits uh needed to be 
a part of it. But again, this is another, like, puzzle box. Like, everything comes back together in the end, you know, kind of thing. Like, everything that was bad happened for a reason because there's a a unity to it all. There's no coincidence. There's reasons why everything happens, even the bad things. And so this is very much in Shyamalan's sort of worldview. A lot of people would strongly disagree with the worldview that trauma can be justified in any way. By having it rescue somebody from being eaten by a spooky monster at the end. Right, or that trauma is justified because it gives you superpowers. You know, like, this is very, like, Sansa Stark being like, I'm glad I was raped because now I'm stronger, lol, at the end of Game of Thrones. Which is, like, very much not how most survivors talk about their experience, you know? Right. Like, it's, it's highly problematic in a lot of ways and I think it's a very male screenwriter um, issue specifically Um, and especially with Shyamalan it's an issue that he's also doing it with mental illness as well right yeah consider that his go-to trauma for men is their wife dying yes you know for sure I mean or their girlfriend is distant from them (laughs) well uh, yeah but there are multiple dead wives there's I know there's a lot of dead wives but like if they're not dead they're growing apart Oh. <laughs> right. Um, should we finish up with uh, with glass? Yeah. So I feel like I have the opposite opinion of most people because I I feel like at least critically people tended to like split more than they liked glass. I think glass is way better than split. It's way more interesting, personally. I liked glass. Glass is great. Yeah, it's fun. It's uh it's very cheap, low budget uh, Shyamalan. You know, if some people are thinking like After Earth had a huge budget and it was a flop, <laughs> Glass had a tiny budget and it's great. Therefore, Shyamalan can only work within limitations. I don't know if that's the read. Maybe the read is that he's working with actors that he knows. Right. He's working with an idea that he's been successful with in the past. He can tweak right. it. He can have fun with it. That's probably more to do with its success. Uh, basically an idea that he's been been working on for like over 10 years. You know, like almost like... Well, not, not nonstop, certainly. <laughs> no, no, no. But like, I mean, sitting with an idea for that long, you have... I think you have more space on it. You know, like, there's a very common um, saying within writing communities, um, and I'm sure this is true within screenwriting as well, where you work on a draft, and then you put it aside for a while, and then you come back to it, you know? Like, and you have fresher eyes, and you can see the criticisms a little bit more clearly and rework things. And, you know, with these two sequels, Unbreakable came out in 2000, Split came out 17 years later, and Glass two years after that. So, you know, like, clearly these things had been sitting with him for a minute, you know? Right. So the, the setup here, of course, being that the characters from Unbreakable and a super-powered character from Split are in a mental hospital because they are saying that all of the things that they believe that they've seen that are supernatural or, you know, superhuman were only in their minds, their delusions of grandeur. But you find out throughout the course of the film that actually all the events of Unbreakable did happen, the events of Split did happen, and there are other superpowered individuals in the world, and that's what Mr. Glass wants to show everybody, right? Is there a clear definitive twist moment? I think the twist is supposed to be at the end when we find out about like the the clover, the black clover, whatever it is, uh, the the secret. Yeah, it's, it's kind of sequel bait again, isn't it? Yeah, I think a little bit. Um, but I mean, the whole thing could be technically sequel bait because you know, Mister Glass says uh, at the end, he's like, "This was never my story. It's it's an origin story. You know, like right. this isn't the like ultimate limited or series or whatever. It's not that right." Climax. Well, we said that this whole movie is the third act of Unbreakable that they didn't ever write. Right. And then this movie also is only the first act of an entirely different trilogy or whatever that's that's starting. So it's always the the putting off of the real superhero story in favor of we'd like to just see the bubblings of it. The, the MNSU, <laughs> M. Night Shyamalan universe. <laughs> I like it, yeah. But yeah, I guess you could say that the twist is the twist that he was recording the fight between uh, Unbreakable yeah. Kimmy Schmidt and <laughs> he was recording that fight on security cameras. So it's just sort of a normal, you know, bad guy actually won when you think he lost twist, you know? It's basically the twist from Spider-Man, uh, like yeah, the most yeah. recent Spider-Man where, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal just recorded everything and then was like, oh, the Spider-Man is this guy. He's like, but it, but it's Samuel L. Jackson being like, superheroes are real! <laughs> Marvel's real! Yeah. 
So I think I think the key to all of this is to say that none of the M Night Shyamalan twists are twists that were never used in other. No, films. absolutely not. They're all standard tropes, but they're they're used in a different way because the because of the way that his films are marketed, mm-hmm. such that the twists are always part of the marketing. Yeah, and he also uses them to flex on his cleverness as a screenwriter in ways that can come across to certain viewers as unsatisfying. What we're talking about really, I think, is tropes of narrative satisfaction. Mm -hmm. Same thing with the mystery boxes, where setting up a mystery box without necessarily envisioning the opening of the mystery box can lead to narrative dissatisfaction. Here we have, if you balance the plot of a film on a twist that can go one way or the other, that no matter which way it goes if it's if it's shocking the audience that can lead them to narrative dissatisfaction Mm -hmm. or extreme narrative you know i don't know what would you call it like elation just shocked at how amazing the twist is catharsis it's it's a form of catharsis which you know like most storytelling is aiming to induce catharsis in the listener or viewer or reader or what have you um, you know, like we we engage with fiction to experience that sort of feeling of release and relief and excitement. Right. Like twists are an essential part of that. As you said, you know, they're an essential part of horror. They're an essential part of suspense. They're an essential part of action, of superheroes, of sci-fi. You know, like these twists exist for a reason. And I think right. M. Night Shyamalan, with his early work, really liked that, um, you know, in the same way that I think Christopher Nolan also kind of likes twists in a, in a similar way. He loves twists, but they're very different, I think. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. He'll end with something ambiguous that makes you think. Or if it is a twist, it's uh, it's a twist that, you know... No, I, I I guess the twist in at the end of uh, of of um, what was that film about magicians? Oh, the Prestige. <laughs> the Prestige. Yeah. I mean, that's very that's very similar to what what M Night Shyamalan. That feels very Shyamalan. Like. Also, Memento. You know, where it's like you get to the end and everything that you know about the film is like entirely different. Right. There's definitely similarities there. So I think it's just because Christopher Nolan leaned into a different aspect of that sort of twist storytelling or as Shyamalan was like oh people are talking about the twists I guess I gotta do twists now and then you know felt maybe pigeonholed by that and felt the need to respond to those critics and yada 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 and you know we end up with the happening and lady in the water and whatnot which 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 I guess it makes sense that he would have such a beef with critics if if this is something that so deeply affected him as a a screenwriter not that I'm psychoanalyzing him to be clear (laughs) I am not... David, you can't know another man's soul. <laughs> I am not Bob Balaban. I, let me repeat, I am not Bob Balaban. That's that's going to be the, the standard you, you hold yourself to. Am I Bob Balabaning this? <laughs> <laughs> but I honestly, I think M. Night Shyamalan, as a creator, as an auteur because he does write and direct and produce so much of his stuff. A ton. Worth revisiting, but yeah. not uh, not worth, you know, uh, valorizing or, you know, saying, no. like, he's perfect. Oh, and I, I don't think there's anyone out there saying he's perfect. No. And, it, and I, you know, I think he, he started out with very strong with The Sixth Sense and Unbreakable. People really like Signs. The Village is where a lot of people, you know, we said hit fatigue. And then we definitely have our little dip with, you know, Lady in the Water, The Happening, and then we do what have you. I think that's the the typical consensus. Personally, I have no investment in Unbreakable. It doesn't do anything for me. Sixth Sense was good, not great. I really like The Sixth Sense. Signs, I think, is hilarious in its dialogue, and so I absolutely (laughs) adore the dialogue in Signs. The Village, I think, is a bop. Lady in the Water is so confusing and, like just bizarre because it's just like out of a kid's imagination again there is a soothsaying kid who reads the cereal boxes Fuck yeah! like you know how can you not enjoy that the happening i think is funny but also kind of works that's me it's just so insane i can't with it uh avatar is obviously trash <laughs> we <laughs> avatar, yeah last airbender is trash but devil is fun after earth just weird the visit very fun. I love it. I, I I think if that's that's my one takeaway from this <laughs> is like watch the visit because man, it, it's fun. Show someone the bi- visit. Like 
I watched it with someone who knew the twist, and they had so much fun, like, watching me experience the film. Yeah. So, so yeah. And also, Split and Glass were enjoyable, you know? I, I like them. Split, less so. Glass, more so. Um, yeah. Well, he has a new movie coming out uh, called Old. Who knows when it's actually coming out, though? I mean, given the way the theaters are going right now. Is it still currently filming? It says that it's filming on Wikipedia, but I, I feel like it's got it wrapped. Yeah, but I don't know if they're in, I don't know if they've taken a break or whatever. I'm, I'm not in that world. Right. Presumably also set in Philadelphia, <laughs> though we'll find out. Well, we'll, we'll see you. And uh, I, I guess if you want us to touch on M. Night Shyamalan dialogue, we always can. <laughs> But uh, we, we didn't include many of his weirdest quotes, but we'd be happy to retouch on Shyamalan if that's something that you guys are interested yeah. in. Or if you want to deep dive on any of the movies we skipped, you know, uh, After Earth, Hit us you up. Know, let us know. Let us know. Tweet at us at Talking Tropes. Uh, or you can check us out. We're on YouTube and we're on uh, SoundCloud and wherever you can listen to podcasts, basically. Yeah, give us a, a rating on you know uh, Apple's podcasts on Stitcher, wherever you you listen to your 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 audio learning entertainment <laughs> material. I I've lost. You've the lost thread. the thread. And next time we're twist. <laughs> and next time we're talking about uh, we're, we're doing another uh, standing Stanley Tucci. We're going to be talking about. The Tooch's yeah. uh, early television career. It's it's a wild one. Um, it's great. There's some good stuff. Tune in. Well, we'll see you later. Bye-bye. David, you can't know another man's soul. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>